This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you all for coming. Uh, Cecil Giscom was uh, my colleague, was born in Dayton, Ohio in 1950. And he's the author of Here... 1994, which is available there, first book of poems. Giscombe Road, very remarkable book that electrified everybody who read it, I think. A book of prose that follows up on some of the themes of Giscombe Road called In and Out of Dislocation, published in 2001. And his most recent book, Prairie Style, which won the American Book Award, was published a couple of years ago. And... um, if you have not read Cecil, I don't know where to tell you to start. I think that I think you have to read both Giscombe Road and um, uh, Prairie Style to see the range of what he's doing. And the prose book you'll want to read if you've read Giscombe Road. I've been trying to think about how to introduce Cecil. He's one of the most original and subtle contemporary poets, hands down, I think, um, I thought of beginning by saying, you know the kind of poem that tells a story and makes a big emotional impact, and everybody says, oh, after it's read? That's exactly the kind of poem Cecil does not write. <laughs> the, the poem in which, in which all of the elements of a thought are put together and then sealed in a stunning image that tells you just how to feel about it is exactly the kind of poem that Cecil does not write. Um, he's... The thing that one of the striking things about Giscombe Road at the beginning was is that it it's thinking about uh, what a Midwesterner might think about geography and place in a place that's apparently placeless unless you look at it closely. What does it mean to look at it closely? For example, there's this from an interview with Cecil. The railroad business is continuous. The Rockville Bridge over the Susquehanna to Harrisburg was built in 1902, still used by Amtrak. Also in Pennsylvania, the Staruka Viaduct over the wide valley of the creek of that name, completed in 1848, still used by the Norfolk Southern. The gorgeous Hellgate Bridge over the East River, linking Queens and Manhattan, was completed in 1916, still used by Amtrak. Implicit in that list is another thing I like about railroads that they're intimately connected to features of land and water, the stuff that is, the stuff that defines geographies irreducible in the world, opaque I said once, and then said, but railroads describe it uh, that's a kind of poetic of what he does, there's a, there was a moment when uh, Chekhov said about his stories in a letter to his brother when people complained that They didn't have the big impact, so people went, oh, at the end. He said, what I like to do is put all the elements in place for the reader to comprehend exactly what's going on, and then I stop. And it's what Cecil does with subtle elements, in Prairie Styles, which is a book of prose poems. It's as if he's thinking about love, he's thinking about race, he's thinking about pleasure, 
He's thinking about locality. He's thinking about the notion of home. He's threading them through a whole bunch of different poems. He lays out the elements of them, and then he backs off, and he lets you figure it out. He never insults the intelligence of a reader, and he never asks questions he knows the answers to in a way that is quite stunning uh, in, in an art. And so I'm thrilled that he's here today. Please welcome Cecil Giskin. Bob, thank you. Thank you so much for the, the introduction. That was, uh, was, that was actually really quite wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for coming on this, uh, this kind of rainy, sweaty day that uh, that we're, we're, we're having. Um, I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to read from um, a prose piece or a prose piece. I'm going to read uh, some new poems. I'm going to read from another prose piece and then, and then um, I'm going to read from two, from two poetry sequences. One very old uh, and one uh, one still in, in progress, and then we're done. I'm going to start by reading a very short piece from um, a manuscript called. Well, Bob has already kind of kind of kind of blown the surprise of this. It's a manuscript called Ohio, Ohio Railroads. I'm from Ohio, and I have a thing for a thing for trains, of course. And this is um, from an, an ongoing ongoing project. Um, and I'm going to read a very, very small snippet of a of Ohio railroads. So all of it will be out, will be published next year as, as a, a book from uh, one of our local publishers, a chapbook actually. Um, and it takes off from a dream I had in the 1970s uh, that um, I've mentioned in readings before. I, I dreamed that my my mother had died and that her death had become rain. Uh, rain falling on a on a, uh, a railroad bridge. So 30 years later, when she did die, I went out to look at the bridge that I saw the day after she died, that that scene in a dream and so forth. And the essay, uh, or the writing, took off from from that and became somewhat uh, rangy. And so the essay is about uh, it's about race in Ohio. It's about uh, it's about Tecumseh. It's about uh, weather. It's about flying saucers and about location, of course. But I'm going to read you the part about about Berkeley, since we're we're all here. I've lived in California since 1907. Oh, excuse me. I've lived in California. That's wrong. I've lived in California since 2007. <laughs> okay. I've lived in California since 2007. I live in Berkeley in a house on Grant Street built in 1908, 42 years before I was born. 42 years prior to my mother's death in 2008, I was a sophomore at Chaminade High School in Dayton. I bought two paisley ties that year, one silk and one wool, and still occasionally wear the wool tie. Ties were required for Chaminade students, and when I appear nowadays before my own students at the University of California, I am dressed more or less as I dressed in parochial school. And for this occasion, this, this is the tie I bought, 
I bought in uh, downtown Dayton in, 19, I think, 1967. There's only one railroad line in Berkeley, the Martinez subdivision of the Union Pacific Railroad. Berkeley's streets and neighborhoods climb gradually from San Francisco Bay, and the tracks trace a water-level route. They are at the base of the hill a mile from Grant Street and follow the curve of the bay. From Grant Street, I can hear the trains blow for the grade crossings at Addison Street, Bancroft Way, and Hearst Avenue. There is an Amtrak halt at the foot of University Avenue. The Berkeley Station House has been converted into a restaurant, a common practice, and railroad passengers must purchase tickets at an automatic kiosk at Trackside. The Capitol Corridor trains, which connect Sacramento with San Jose, stop at Berkeley. The San Joaquins, which run between Oakland and Bakersfield, do not stop at the Berkeley Station, and neither does the Coast Starlight, the overnight train, from Los Angeles to Seattle. A block east of Grant Street is Martin Luther King Jr. Way. MLK, as it is called, parallels Grant Street and is a busy thoroughfare. Until 1984, the street was named Grove Street, and by social custom, black people only lived west of Grove Street on the downhill side. Black history in the East Bay, as Berkeley and Oakland are known, is connected to railroad history. Berkeley and Oakland are, in many ways, the same town. The major north-south streets, San Pablo, MLK, Shattuck, Telegraph, College, continue from one municipality to the other. Border neighborhoods overlap. In 1869, Oakland became the terminus for the Transcontinental Railroad, and by the 1930s, a third of the East Bay's Negro labor force worked for the railroad or for the businesses, such as the Pullman Company, that were its partners. West Oakland, which sat adjacent to the rail yards, became a black neighborhood. By World War II, Richard Walker wrote, black settlement had extended into southwest Berkeley, which became a prestige address. The Grant Street neighborhood through the latter years of the 20th century was well-kept and mixed. In In 2008, the neighborhood was largely white, but several black churches continued to hold services on streets near to Grant Street. On clear Sunday mornings, one could hear song emanating from a variety of locations. Summers in Berkeley are cool and breezy. The warm weather arrives in September or October. In the winter, it rains, but thunderstorms are rare occurrences. Okay. I'm going to read um, uh, a sequence... A sequence called uh, called Early Evening, uh, parts of which I've read uh, before. But it, it's a, it's it's. I lived in Pennsylvania for ten years, and in Middle Pennsylvania, uh, a, a place called a place called. I lived in Belfont, which, as you all know, is the county seat of Center County. Um, and I've been trying to think about Belfont and Central Pennsylvania ever ever since I left. Uh, I'll mention. Uh, a couple of things, um, something that, that, that pleases me. It's a, uh, when I lived for a while in, in northern British Columbia in Canada, and during that time my daughter was nine years old, and, um, and she became so afraid of mountain lions that we could not say their name. We could only call them by their initials, MLs. <laughs> and there's a reference to that in here. On old maps was the, uh, was the Latin 
Hicksut Leonis, here be lions for unknown territory. Sequence is called, is called Early Evening, a title stolen from Langston Hughes, borrowed from Langston Hughes. One, red-tailed eating a fat squirrel in one of the elm trees. I'd meditated already, had a hedge on the night, but owned nothing past that. Surrounded by crows and three of the other elms, who had come suddenly out of nowhere shouting, Caw! as he picked that squirrel to bits, the most common hawk in North America. Early evening at Penn State, still light and no leaves yet, or that already fallen off. <clears throat> late autumn then, or early spring, 2000-something, probably 2003, off the hip of Old Maine, ten crows, maybe a dozen crows. One is a gun, Charlie Brown. After all, one is a gun, a single composition of many parts. Shadows lengthen, Charlie Brown. Two, where was I? I remember what happened to me and can grin about that up to a certain point. Address could be bright and vivid, or it could just be to whom it may concern, or the nickname for a whispering demon orders in his hand, Charlie Brown. You might ask, how do you know? I'd say, push comes in parts. Swallows, swifts. Two is a shoe, meaning we'll play both sides of the net, as it were. Each has its neighbors, its love rooms. Knowledge seemed easy, but who am I to say? Swallows and swifts, Charlie Brown. Swallows and swifts. Pull it apart. I'm who I say. I'm in town, and the night's young. It's all doable, and I'm at your service, Charlie Brown. Three. Nothing, no measure, <clears throat> nothing held back. Our work was done, and I crossed the bridges home, sweet dinner. Hell's part of heaven in my book. A common lattice, treed, multiplied, rife with example. Three is a tree. What might you holler down from out of the thatch, young man? Are we less peculiar than some folks? How unambiguously, for example, do we ring the scene? <clears throat> Lady, I paced white drivers in their cars. It has seemed to me at various times that you don't just happen across a creek or even a river in the country, but that you need to be looking for it, water, deliberately. In town, it's different. Down on the coast, I was different, or I had been. There is a bear. The countryside has seemed to shrink and then expand in size, as I remember it. Four. Went downtown to see the new King Kong. Lost track of time, but I kept walking. Landmarks fell into order, and I held my pace among them. Where do you go to think about anything? Early show, just another 10 or 15 minutes. What was the Commonwealth to me? 25 townships to Center County. The lines follow the contour of ridges and valleys, and therein the creeks are runs or colored bell font above Spring Creek, which in the borough forms the boundary, colored bell font on its hill facing Catholic bell font across the creek. Coffee Town is burning down. Where you been, Charlie Brown? Skull Island. Knock, knock. Four is a door. Some sour pranks over and over again. I'll go on ahead, I thought. After all, I'm Mr. Sism. Four is the way to answer and exit. What a show.
5, are held in this one particular part of heaven. Once you know that, you are, as it were, in the car. A Main Street branch is typical of some towns, like a hand. Something I did, something I can do. But five is a hive, baby. A buzz, be loud, tingling with consequence. Anything you want. Where was I? Downtown. Now you see it, and then you're there, in spades. A measure parallel to everything. As though there were a fate going on, and we'd left the car to attend it, to flirt with the organizers. Where was I, Charlie Brown? I've been to the rural campuses of Penn State, small town schools for the greatest part devoid of black students. The main campus at University Park was beautiful with its walks shaded by the elm trees, the tops of which are lit and merge in early evening with roofs of old stone buildings to make a single skyline, a core. Where had I been going? To a seance, apparently. It was dusk when we set out. Six. If you want to start a fight in Tioga County, say that there just are no more lions in the valleys or on mountaintops, said someone upon my arrival at Penn State. Biggest battle, Charlie Brown, biggest battle. You don't have to go far off campus, I was warned. Center County's mid-state, but it gets bad in the northern tier, Charlie Brown. People there are called Potter County God's Country. Stopped June 2010 at English Center in Lycoming County for a general repair. Another low haunt. It was half raining. Tioga County was made from parts of Lycoming County. There's a place for every need, brother, black as that might be. Step inside that. Step to it. So this old botany is marriage, the harsh forest climbing the hill. Hic sunt leonis. Maps pulled off the internet or got from generous women at AAA show the Alleghenies traversed by Route 15 show, show Pendot, having marked Bloss Mountain Summit, but Steam Valley Mountain is in fact where the weather changes. And then, south toward Center County, one follows the base of Bald Eagle Mountain all the way down to Belfont, the county seat, and Penn State. Incompatible, lions were extirpated from the Commonwealth by 1897 or 1916, and later became the mascot. Nittany Mountain, Mount Eyebrow, Mount Furious, Mount Cat. Sugar Valley, enclosed on the other side. Pull off, brothers. Riddle me this. Two crows, three crows, down in the valley where the green grass grows. Endless mountains, inevitable Poconos, ridge and valley appellations. Who saw a lion down there? Heckle and Jekyll? Cartographer did at Black Shannon discussed the sighting with me at Irving's on College Avenue, fall 1999. Prevalent story at English Center. There's a plaque. The Dr. Reinwald in 1840 was eaten by an ML while on a mission of mercy, but the other arguments that he died of exposure, lost in the snow, died of common mistakes, after which wolves, panthers, and hawks picked his carcass not knowing enough to respect a human corpse, Henry Shoemaker said. But that was the very worst. Hit it with a stick, Charlie Brown. Go downtown, take it to the river. 
New York State borders paralleled by Route 6. Cross it. Hit it with sticks. Start a fight you won't finish, big boy. June 2010 stopped at the truck plaza, McElhatton, Clinton County. Meditated there. Seven. Sleep well, Charlie Brown. Sleep well. Pray for daylight and the devil. Pray for the commonwealth. Pray for the busy world. Evening comes for you. Ballads, show tunes, certain melodies, or mouth distended cry all night. Lurch through or stay back. Watch out for false consummations. Wait, brother, wait. But be prepared to meet the white man's handsome woman on the road, the bear in the backyard. Come to the seminar table on the grass outside old botany. Or watch television, watch the devil try and fool a dog, and remember seven, brother, is heaven, a concrete expression. You can haunt the carols and pray for your face not getting stuck like that. Go home, baby. So-and-so's already gone home. No interest here at the foot of the mountain, hushed world or not. Everybody's got their valley towns. Eight. I had no business being downtown, not this late in the low season. Your voice reduced to someone's fate like a stain on the music. The buses are numbered. River towns differ from valley towns. Where are you at? We could go to the movies together, Charlie Brown, but sit separately and compare later. I had a date with a dish. The quality of moonlight in the backyards was strange. Eight, Charlie Brown? Nothing but a gate, a furnace of the soul, a heyday, a concrete viaduct and sections to jump between. Who's there in the other devil's name? So-and-so from down by the big gate or from down in the valley. You are the awful shadow. In town, it was belts of neighborhood to work across, then a mean little hill up to the stadium. Where do you go? I had taken the endless mountains, which come as far west as Susquehanna County for a doppelganger, but that was an academic location, one I knew only too well. Nine. Having built a bridge across the wide mouth of a creek where it entered the ocean, I stalked the parapets. Center County was coastal somehow, and the mountain rose out of it, as it does, in fact, but from the docks, and from my bridge as well. A seaside pocked with bays was once again my desire in the dream, as well as my instruction. But I remember considering what was going to happen to me. Nine is wine, I could say, a sommelier's unlikely arrival later on, or nine is mine, the rest of my body at such an estuary. There's a water gap in Bald Eagle Mountain. It's open called Tangle Town. Hear the wind, baby? Here it comes down the alley long after the argument. A second thought, a little bump in the air. You are one jaunty animal, Michi Banjo. But don't you bark a melancholy sound. Ten. Last poem in the sequence. Ten is a hen, Charlie Brown and all the deceits of the world. Carol such, if you like, 
carols such as that. Hide your tail as you exit the house. Do you know where Canada is? It's the hive of my power. I was, in fact, a railroad bureaucrat. My heart was black, as black as the ten of spades, ten times blacker than the ace. What do you need, Charlie Brown? What are you looking for up here? Thief, catch thief. Thief, catch thief. How's your nerves? There's no one here at all. What's a young gal to do? What's common? I'm a practical man, so let's finish up. Eat a closure dinner. Remember your likings, Charlie Brown. Bird on a plate's an old practice. Snow on Steam Valley. Chalky dust. White shoulders rule the roost. Poem called Camp Town. Which began, you know the song. Camp Town ladies sing this song. Thank you. (laughs) Camp Town. Flesh or fable, either one. Far be it from me. Please yourself, we came along the hill's shoulder from the lowest point or field, nothing now. And I imagined, as we walked, that perhaps a monster could walk over similarly, could scale the wall, as it were. But Camp Town's almost untenable. It's barely haunted. Whose fault is that? Form is harsh. Form's just a hull. A monster could slip across a bridge in the wee hours when traffic's not heavy from one place or another to Camp Town. Please yourself. I was a ship on the stormy ocean. Stay off me, brother. I might be a monster, but neither will I judge you. Camp Town's no, two. Camp Town's no accident, no joke, no dichotomy. But Camp Town's noisy. The parts are all out of proportion. That that makes it dangerous is weak argument or its only argument. My sense of distance gets in the way sometimes. I speak from locations, and that has got its limits. What's afoot in such, one might ask, or what has rolled in? How did we seem to appear on the dogleg up and then on the hillside? That is, what do they see first? The crocodile itself, or a monster, making a desultory retreat, nobody likes that, ahead of capture. I will level with you, Camp Town Lady. I think this could dwarf us both. Three. Monster lurching through, taking up, sprawled like Canada Lee over several seats on the bus. Border towns are the real deal. Camp Town's different. Um, There's another book coming out next year, a book called Backburner. It's a book about, it's a prose book, but it's a book about poetry. And uh, I'm going to read you just a snippet from the, uh, uh, f- from the title, the title essay. The title essay called, called Backburner. Start again with railroad music. I've been working on the railroad. It's a folk song. You know this song, right? 
Haven't all the live long day? Yeah, yeah, okay. I've been working on the railroad as a folk song, a piece of a various origin. It surfaced at the turn of the 20th century, and as the century went on, changed in that a second part, in which the tempo speeds up, became attached to it. Nowadays, after lines having to do with laboring all the live long day, lines that lead up to the somewhat mysterious request of Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Children sing, someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, strumming on the old banjo. The first part of the song, a variation on the Levy song, was sung by black and Irish railroad workers in the 19th century. The second part is a survival from minstrelsy, the signature American form. It's from 1830, actually. In the antebellum days, blacked up for an Ethiopian bedroom farce, white men would sing, Oh, someone's in the house with Dinah. Somebody in the house I know. Somebody's in the house with Dinah, a playing on the old banjo. Nowadays, the intricate licensing that the hijacks of Mr. Bones and Tambo gave to young America's libido is faded from any kind of active public memory of vague nostalgias in its place. Dinah's in the kitchen where she should be, doing the work she's supposed to be doing day after all the live long day. It's work anybody can do, but if race is socially constructed, and every schoolboy knows nowadays to say that it is, race has still got its kitchens. Now it's, now it's 2012, and my job at home has been to be cook in good times and bad. As for me in my house, I run the kitchen, my wok, my skillets, my ability with sauces and marinades. If you can read, you can cook, a woman told me when I rented a room with kitchen privileges from her in Boston 30 years ago. Conventional wisdom, but I heard it first from her. I can read, and I can also imagine and arrange and remember and plan and repeat and vary and interrupt. I can map meals for a week. I really can. I can cook right through disaster. A history of cooking? Taken shopping at an early age by my mother on the west side of Dayton, Ohio, Black Dayton, I came to have preferences among the chain supermarkets. Kroger's still survives. But came also to value neighborhood groceries with their wood floors and ancient coolers. All were stations of the elemental places where one went to get supplies for survival, and all were obviously profound places because of that. As I've said elsewhere, we were city people, removed from the land, and did not raise our own food, so the grocery stores stood in for the racial acts of hunting and gathering. Sent alone and on foot with money to purchase, say, a loaf of bread from Mr. Scherer's ice cream store, I understood myself to be, at twelve, on an errand of basic consequence. Um, in Birmingham, where my father was born, my father learned how to cure hams from his father. But my grandfather was no rustic peasant. He was, like his son, my father, a physician. My grandfather had come to Birmingham from Buff Bay, Portland Parish, Jamaica. He'd gone to work as a very young man for United Fruit, saved money, and come to the States to go to Clark, and then to Meharrie Medical College, which produced many generations of black doctors, including my father. 
When my father was a baby, he had left for a year, or possibly two years, to study anesthesiology at the University of Edinburgh. In 2012, the full text of his 1923 article, General Anesthesia, is available online. He died in 1962, when I was 11. My father always had a garden, even in his, even in his last year, 2009, which he spent in assisted living in Oakland, California. And last paragraph in the essay, in the book, in fact, History of Cooking. The big Kroger's chain store on the west side was, in my memory of my own childhood, anomalous in that the boundary between the corporate and local entrepreneurs was, permiss- was permeable. This is to say that in my memory, people sold produce and fish out of their cars and trucks in the parking lot. But it was at a point of land as well, the situation where Wolf Creek meets the Miami River. The two watercourses bounded the west side, separated it from downtown to the east, and the white Dayton View neighborhood to the north. The railroad still follows Wolf Creek, even in 2012. But in the story of that time, the 1950s, a freight train on the line derailed one evening at the West 3rd Street crossing by the Kroger store, and the wood slats splintered on a livestock car, allowing pigs to escape into the west side. A thousand pigs, a thousand kitchens. Where did they go? (laughs) Within half an hour, goes the story, you couldn't find a single pig on the street. A man stopped one of my father's patients, and he had two pigs in the trunk of his car, and asked, did my father's patient want to buy them? And um, I'll read you... To finish up, actually, my first book was not here. My first book was a book called Postcards, published in the, in the late the late 1970s. God, some of you weren't born then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and the the book ended. I'm going to read you the last poem in that in that book. Um, it's called Three for My 26th Birthday. Uh, very much of an Ithaca, New York poem. 28th November. I was born on November 30th, by the way. 28th November. By the evening, I'm leaning toward outside, thinking of something else. A shape in the two inches between the moon and the top of West Hill. A clear night, 48 hours before my next birthday. And the drunken fear that I will get no older than this and the short, warm day it is balanced on. 29th November, at the railroad crossing, the engineer does not return my wave, and neither does the brakeman from his bay window caboose. Between them, too many coal hoppers to count, all bound empty for Pennsylvania, 50 miles south, where the single track fans out into several, loses itself in black mountains, fossil fuel, the taste of ash. 30th November, Three years now since snow took the passing lanes, Canada was further north than we'd imagined, and by six o'clock it was dark. I passed my birth hour above the Thousand Islands, their lights from the highest point on the International Bridge, as good a halfway mark as any between this country and the next. And uh, close up 
by what I, what I realized is that I wrote that for my 26th birthday, and this last birthday I was, believe it or not, 62. And the numbers reverse, 2662. So, you know, you know I had to... Um, the, the poem, or the series 7 for my 62nd birthday is, uh, is, is getting, it's getting rangy, it's uh, going on. I'm going to read you just a couple of, a couple of, of, uh, of uh, short, short pieces from that, and then we're, then we're done. Seven, from seven for my 62nd birthday. 21st of May. She said, get your bearings. A cabin story bends the question. Almost or like what? The 24th May. The taunt, didn't it? And let me try that again. The taunt, didn't it? Again and again, in memory itself, and in memory of coming to the taunt. Shapes not the taunt, but the repeated shape itself. A lie. You swimming, almost always alone, like a shape, is what sticks. Search heaven, y'all. There are some bare meadows there. And it's possible to misread silence, to wish for a ballad, say, to come forward as an animal would to intervene. Noise in the bushes, quiet in the cornfield. Everybody loves cabin stories. Every shape I saw is opposite me, but I can pass until I speak. But the repeats the uncertain shape, didn't we? That's common. 21st June, Hope Bay. A moth was flying in my sleeping room so big and black I took it for a bat. So black were the wings. But when it lit, they stayed out instead of folding. So I saw it was a moth. I'd come up from Kingston Town. Rich constant spring, rich stony hill. Broadgate, though, at the base of the mountain. Mr. Samble was in bed when we spoke, though it was afternoon. Darker than me, but with blue eyes. Said, he said he'd known a bobby giscom in Hope Bay. I had wanted to cross the swift river, my cousin having had a vision there, and walked across on the long rail bridge and later walked out into the ocean as well. A mongoose crossed the road near Goblin Hill in front of the bus. On loose terms, I was pure trace. No feet, honey, no intent. Uh, 3rd November, Tawanda, Pennsylvania. In point of fact, I followed the branch line, still in operation, down through the small towns I knew below Ithaca, having lived there long ago to the Pennsylvania border where I'd announced at 26, the single track fans out into several. Felt tepidness just over amid signs for the endless mountains. November 3rd, my love, just 27 days before my next birthday. Now they're fracking. What? What range of possible things does one think of in the endless mountains? Dreamed places, dreamed places, recognizable as they may be, mean something else. Do not presage the end of the world or even death. 
Boyish, I covet agreement and prize return. No problem tonight in any lane. Sour gift of such an afternoon as this. She said ages ago, people will be jealous and try to thwart you. Expect that. Implicit and easier is the trouble brought by white people. And once you know that grammar, once you master it, you're whole in those situations. Common, extensive, articulated. On TV, Dracula 2000, in which Negroes with an airplane steal Dracula's body with predictable results. Watch. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.